From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 283. Today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, Squarespace, and KiwiCo. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I am fine and dandy, my friend. Fine and dandy indeed. But I have a hashtag Snell Talk question for you. Okay. This comes from James, and James wants to know, if you're out on your own while traveling in a new city, what is your favorite kind of snack or meal to seek out in different places? Um, it's a fun question. I'm not on my own traveling in a new city very often. I'm generally with my family or I'm, uh, with friends doing like an event of some kind, mm-hmm. but it does occasionally happen. It did, especially when I was, um, working at IDG where oh, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd have to go to some thing like IDG thing somewhere. And it's like, okay, I'm in Copenhagen. What will I do? Um, and so my historical answer is, I would like to find a place that is really good that serves local beer. Is my answer. That's I my answer. I have been to such a place with you in Dublin. Yeah, Maybe? sure. It was yeah. in Dublin. Yeah, in Dublin, there's, yep. there was the there's the microbrewery there where like everything is just Guinness everywhere. Mm-hmm. But you could go to the Porterhouse in uh, Temple Bar, I think, is where we went, and and they have like microbrews from. Ireland and elsewhere, and it was recommended to yep. me by a by a waiter from the Guinness Storehouse, which is oh the irony of that. It's like if you like beer, you should try beers that are not Guinness. <laughs> don't oh, okay, don't okay. do this. Don't go to this place. <laughs> Again, this is fine, but but uh, that was that was good. And yeah, and I did that. I went to a. I had a, I don't know where I went, but I had in Copenhagen. I had a like a Mikkeler, uh beer that mm. was really good. And, yeah, and now of course I I'm not allowed to drink. Uh, regular beer so sad but uh, that's my answer is that was that was always my thing was was seeking out um, new local beer in wherever i was was that the night where me you and james thompson found ourselves in a very small irish pub after yes that we did end up in the very small yeah. irish pub that was right uh sort of down by where we were staying and mm-hmm. uh i i discovered that place uh, when I was there with IDG, because it was just down the road from the place we were staying for the IDG meeting in, in yeah. Dublin, and I thought, I thought, oh my god, this is like perfect. This is exactly what I imagine an Irish pub to yep. be, in that it was very small, oh, completely very small. packed, everybody talking, and then you, you and James and I did the same, and it was exactly the same, which I loved it. It was great. It was one of those places where you walk in and the music stops kind of thing, right? And everyone looks at you, right? That that was yeah. kind of what this place was like. Well, I, I ordered a Guinness. I remember the first time I was there and they're like, oh, American. And, and they said, from, you know, from looking at you, you might as well be Irish. And it's like, well, it is genetically, that's about right. So, uh, but I thought that was a funny moment of like, yeah, I fit, I fit. In. <laughs> it's like, if I had not opened my dumb American mouth. Uh, no one would have known. Whereas you, an Englishman in Ireland, would have. Uh, you're lucky that you you left with your life. On that note, if you would like to send in a <laughs> Snell Talk question to open a future episode of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Snell Talk, and it may be included. Thank you to other James for sending that in. Yeah, that that was great. But I'm just saying that there are statues all over Dublin of people who killed English people. <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway. Uh, Thanks. Should we should we do <laughs> just just watch your back when you're there. don't try to so. don't try to take over when you're in in Ireland that's all
No, now I'll just be begging for citizenship, Jason. That's where. Yeah, I'm you're gonna, gonna have be. to. You're gonna have to show. You know, do your proper entry procedures mm-hmm. now. But we don't want to talk now. We really don't well, want to talk about that. Not now, but maybe at some point. Um, yeah. We have a packed show today, uh, but we want to talk a little bit about Fantastical Three, right? You want to touch yeah, on that, that today? It's kind of like follow up. We got an email from a listener that I thought was uh, that he made an, a, a nice point. Yep. Uh, and I wanted to just mention, so Fantastic Cal 3 came out last week. I wrote about it. Federico Vitici wrote about it. Other people wrote about it. They did a, you know, they prepped us. We got the beta in advance and all of that. Yep. Got a lot of nice new features. Um, I'm very impressed with the new features. I it love also it. adds. It's really great. Yeah. It also adds a subscription model, mm-hmm. which um, everybody, everybody knew would be controversial because every time there's a subscription model, people are angry. Yep. Because a lot of people don't like subscription software. Um, and so it's uh, the way they did is really interesting. They released it. The new the new app is an update for version two. It uh, so if you paid for version two, you get all the f- features of version two for free. Um, and the new features are under the subscription model, which is forty dollars a year. Yeah. Um, now. I have some criticisms about this. Like, first off, a lot of people are like, well, why didn't they release it as a new app? And leave the old app there. And they could have done that. I'm not sure that would have been better because what it would have meant is that that old app was just going to sit there and rot. And, you know, they could have like pushed a notification or something that there's a new version and going to get it. I think there would have been a lot of problems with like allowing the upgrades from the previous version. It would have been a choice they could have made. I... I don't know why they didn't make that choice, but I think it's complicated. It's more complicated than like, oh, well, they just could have done that and they didn't. That was dumb. I think there's a maintaining thing that's an issue, right? Like with this model that they have right now because of the way they've developed and implemented it, they can still maintain and update what is effectively the free version, right, for people. So you can still get updates. It will still work with future versions of iOS, where if you'd stayed on two, maybe it wouldn't. Right. Also, uh, sipping a, a fruit cider in the chat room, James Thompson <laughs> points out that uh, uh, you lose your search visibility when you have a brand new app. Um, you break you break continuity, right. um, and then you've got your existing app that's still floating around unless you hide it, and then you've lost it too. It's I, my point is it's complicated, and there are a lot of people who are very uh, easily like, well, they should have just done this, and like they're not really necessarily considering all of the issues involved because the thing is with with a situation like this with the market that we're in right now i will tell you there is literally no good option there is just options with varying levels of bad and you choose your bad that's the bottom line here is all of this is precipitated by apple's policies being bad right like this is apple not allowing a sensible upgrade policy for software and it has driven everybody to subscriptions because apple wants to report subscription revenue um apple wants everybody else to report subscription revenue that goes into their subscription revenue mm. um it is uh it, it is something that the developers are trying to find a way to build a sustainable business with their software and releasing a single app for a single purchase um, and then you walk away forever is not sustainable, especially if you've been paying attention to iOS releases, how every iOS release like breaks apps and apps have to. So like you can't just 
take the money and walk away and never update the app. Imagine you buy an app and then Apple releases a new version of iOS and the app breaks. Are you going to be mad at Apple or are you going to be mad at the developer? Well, you're probably going to be bad at the developer. And at that point, you have an expectation that the developer is going to continue to maintain this software to keep it running for you, except you haven't given them any more money and they still have to eat. So I, you know, I think, I think it's, it's a it's a difficult situation that Apple has uh, made largely itself, but that developers are trying to find ways through. Now, mm-hmm. you know, so what Fantastical decided to do was release a new version with the new code and give everybody who bought Fantastical 2 the features for the new code. This is Mac and iOS and Apple Watch, actually. Um, I would say, you know, there are things that I want to criticize about their rollout. I feel like they they have a little too, they're a little too pushy in terms of sort of nagging you and saying, oh, that's a thing you can't do unless you pay us mm-hmm. uh, for a new feature. I feel like a way to silence that, a way to say, yes, I get it. Don't show this to me again. Like there's literally some views on iOS where if you tap or, or slide a divider, it throws up a thing that says, oh, this is a premium feature. You can't do that. It's like, that's, right, it's right. a bit, it's a bit much. You should just be able to say, okay, and then don't show that to me again. So it's a little overzealous. They didn't come out with a family plan. So basically if you've got two let's say a couple who wants to use Fantastical, they're, they're like, well, that's $80 a year, which I don't know. I mean, if they want to do that, that it's fine, but that seems more like a, like an error. If you've got your kids that you also want to share calendars with, and you know, you, you could share calendars using a different app, but it just seems like maybe there's a missed opportunity there to be, to sort of like for your existing customers to allow them to add users. Or a um, team plan, not just family. Team plan. Yeah. 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 It's just, uh, so, so that's, that's I know, and I know that's complicated, but it, it seems like that's something that they they could have given more time to before launch. They have a new account system, which led to a lot of confusion. And basically, what they're trying to do is be able to pass uh, your like metadata around, and also be able to create kind of helper services. So things like they do meeting scheduling, and the meeting scheduling is in the cloud. So you need to be logged into the FlexiBits account to do your meeting scheduling in the mm-hmm. cloud. And the problem, and it's and it's good, and that like they promise that part of this whole subscription thing is they're going to roll out new cloud-enabled features to users as well. Like they're they're able to do app development and cloud development um, now that they're going to have a subscription base. Um, the challenge is the confusion, which is first off, people are like, well, wait a second. Um, why can't I use this app unless I subscribe? And the answer is, well, signing into the, making a new account is not subscribing. They're separate, but that's complicated, right? Like, And then there's another confusion, which is, wait a second, they have a cloud account now? Well, I have my work accounts in my calendar, and if and I can't give my work calendar credentials to a third party that would be insecure, so I can't use this product, which is not true. Because the calendar stuff still happens on device on the app. It has nothing to do with the cloud service, but that's complicated. So it's one of those things where I know why they did it, and I'm not sure how much better they could have done it, but it is extra layers of confusion with people who are already kind of on edge. Um, I also noticed this week a lot of people complaining about because people were going if you wrote about fantastical like i did and federico did people were like doing twitter searches and finding you and then just replying the same reply to everybody it was just this outrage machine that cranked up which you know i get being outraged i'm not interested in your spam um but 
and I, I did things like, wow, this seems like a nice update. And somebody's like, the subscription is so right. I said, well, you know, my story says you have to decide if this is worth it for you. It's right there. But I think the features are nice. Um, I did notice a trend where a lot of people remember having features that they didn't actually have before. This is outrageous. I, I, you know, I used to rely on calendar calendar sets on my iPad, and now it's a premium feature. It's like that, I don't think there were calendar sets on the iPad before. Um, so that's hmm, interesting. So uh, here's what listener Nathan said. Listener Nathan wrote in, and that was prompted this mini topic follow up. Is I'm passionate about tech, and I want to use the best possible apps and tools in my personal life, but I don't feel I get enough value out of subscriptions like this for what I see as quite limited use. And I think that's a perfectly valid feeling. This is you. What listener Nathan is describing is I like nice things, but sometimes nice things count cost more than I would like to pay. Yeah, and I think if I'm thinking it's the same person, Nathan was saying that. They would love to use this stuff for work, but they can't. Like, this is just not the type of thing that they're allowed to do because of all these security procedures. And I know that there's like, right. well, you don't have to give them the account stuff, but then you also don't benefit from some of the features that you're now paying for. Sure, so, sure. But I, and I think Flexibix could be more clear about that. But yeah. again, all the calendar data stays on device. Unless you give them, because you can now choose to give them API access to calendars. Yeah, but you it, it's you have to do very specific things mm-hmm. in the cloud that are you not do. required. Yep. Um, so, again, there's nothing groundbreaking about this comment that I like nice things, but some of them are too expensive for me. That's life. And I guess what I would say is I get not... I want a Tesla, and it's too expensive, so I can't buy it. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's like, I'm not mad at Tesla for not making their car cheaper. I I want a nice thing, but ultimately... Um, look, if Flexibits price this wrong, uh, their business will not work, will not succeed. If they overprice this and they lose the, all their customers to other products, they they made a mistake and they priced it too high. That said, if they price it right and some people opt out because it's too rich for their blood, that's fine. That's okay. That's an okay outcome. Not every product is going to be bought by everybody. Sometimes the product is too expensive. Yep. Serving the largest number of users is not Flexibits' goal. Their goal is not the person with the most users wins. Making their business sustainable is the goal. And we've seen this time and again with software development on Apple's platforms especially, which is there are always people who are up in arms who think the customer is always right and the solution is you should please everybody. And the truth is pleasing everybody cannot be the goal. And most, you know, there's some business models where it's all about scale, but for the most part, pleasing everybody is not the goal. Getting a customer base willing to pay you an amount of money where the customer base is large enough and the amount of money is large enough and that it's sustainable, which means it needs to happen over time. That's the goal. And sometimes, especially because of the way Apple structured the App Store, things like this will happen. There are subscription apps that I look at and I go, yeah, like that, that looks like a fun app. Um, and I wouldn't mind having it around. Like this just happened to me for the, the tool I make. We're going to talk about the Apple quarterly results in a minute. The tool I make, I use to make the transcripts of that, just switch to a subscription model. And so I used to pay like 15 or $20 per quarter to do that transcript. As of uh, later this year, I'm going to have to pay $60 to do it because they've switched to a subscription model. Their lowest price is $60 a month. <laughs> so Ooh. I'll have to sign up for a month, do all the transcripts, and then cancel. Um, I don't love it. 
I will consider alternatives. I will consider the value that it provides to my business. And, you know, if I abandon it, then so be it. Like, I, I feel it. I we, we just had this with our QuickBooks Online account for my business. I've had that for apps like uh, Ulysses, which is an interesting app that I try from time to time. But I came to the realization that I probably shouldn't subscribe to it because I don't think I would use it. Um, I, I've had that same thought about drafts. I did actually buy a year of drafts, um, but I may not renew that. Like Everybody has to make their own decisions here. Um, and Flexibits could have done some things better. But in the end, I, I, while I have sympathy for people who are upset that this app that they like is uh, going to a place that they don't want to go, um, calendaring is standard. Every Apple device comes with a calendar app. If you paid them for Fantastic Cal 2, you get those features on version 3. Um, hopefully, they'll make the nags go away. Like, in the, in the end, if you want nice things, you should be willing to pay for them. Otherwise, you'll just have to make a decision about whether it's nice enough for you to pay. And it's okay for you to say no. And if the if enough people say no, the business will hear it and realize they made a mistake. But there is a situ- situation here where you leave, some people stay... And the business is happy because, again, their goal is to be sustainable, not to have the maximum number of customers possible. And it stinks to be on the outside of that, but sometimes that's how it has to be because everybody has different priorities. Uh, you have a one upstream headline you wanted to talk about today, right? Uh, yeah. So I forcibly added upstream to this episode just to say Hulu's CEO is out. Uh, <laughs> A guy named Randy Freer, he's the CEO of Hulu, and he's out. And the reason that this is news is mostly because he's not being replaced. Hulu's senior staff will report to Disney. And this is the most... Hulu's in a weird place because it's technically still not entirely owned by Disney, although it will be, but it is operated by Disney. And eventually the other partners will drop out and it will be completely subsumed by Disney. But for mm-hmm. now, at mm-hmm. least... Hulu still is kind of Disney, kind of not. But this is the final shoe, essentially, dropping of um, of uh, Disney taking control. The CEO has left. He's not being replaced. Hulu will report inside Disney. So that I just think that that's worth noting that our conversations about Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, and now we've got Hulu... Um, as the third leg of that sort of streaming strategy and Hulu is where they can place content that maybe is a little more edgy and outside of the bounds of the Disney brand in Disney Plus, well, that's what's happening. Also, this company that's got a little streaming service um, named Apple did uh, had a pretty good quarter. But- Apple's Q1 2020 results. <laughs> so remember, Q1 2020, that means, well, you would think it would mean calendar as we're in, but it doesn't mean that. It means no. the sales of the fourth quarter of 2019. This is the holiday quarter, the big <laughs> holiday quarter. quarter. First Not fiscal quarter of 2020, yeah. A big quarter. It is the biggest quarter ever in both revenue and profit. I'm just going to yeah. say, I think that slightly came out of nowhere. Uh, if you just think about the way that the last year or so has gone. I know that we had guidance, but like... It, it, I, I don't think I was personally expecting such a runaway success uh, for this, this quarter. Well, they beat their guidance. I mean, that's the thing is they, they, they talk about being conservative with guidance, but they, they beat their guidance. Mm-hmm. They really did. Oh, boy, did they. Yep. And mm-hmm. they had what turned out, it was like probably going to be a record quarter. Uh, the, their previous record quarter was two years ago, actually. Last year was down a little bit. Um, but if you look at their 
growth rate the last four quarters year over year it was like down five percent down five percent up one percent up two percent apple's revenue has been kind of this year has been kind of same as last year Mm -hmm. and um they were up nine percent year over year the holiday quarter so they and and you know obviously they were up a little bit from two years ago where they had that that record uh quarter so it's a little bit out of nowhere it's sort of like they beat expectations to have their best quarter ever which i feel like we there was a period there where we were doing that every year and then we skipped a year but here we are again the holiday quarter we're back to uh and also i'll just point out there 91.8 billion dollar quarter means that probably in the next few years we are going to see apple have a hundred billion dollar quarter which is bananas i i'm just gonna say it's gonna be q1 2021 maybe who knows? Well, twenty. It's either twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two. I but I yeah, reckon it will happen. I think so. I think you're right. Profit was twenty two point two billion. Uh, the yeah, big story. Okay. The big <laughs> story here is that the iPhone's back on top and back on top in a big way. Fifty six billion dollars of revenue. Uh, it's up four billion year over year. This is the second largest quarter for the iPhone ever, which is a again big surprise. I think because. The big story from Q4 2019 results was that the iPhone dipped below 50% of Apple's overall business, right? And we were talking about it. There were lots of articles about it, right? But we're entering this new world where this is going to be the way that Apple's going to be. But now it's 61% again. Uh, So (laughs) so we can forget that new world. Um, So, Well, uh, if you look at the percentage numbers, the holiday quarter always uh, tips toward iPhone. People mm -hmm. buy iPhones in that quarter because that is also the, that's the new iPhone quarter. Mm -hmm. It's not just the holiday we, we focus on the holiday but like it's october november december it's the new iphone quarter and it's always uh you like over 60 percent iphone and it is it is again uh, according to apple the iphone 11 outsold the iphone 11 pro and 11 pro max every single week of the holiday quarter so the plan worked rebranding yeah. the 10r to become 11 was a clear strategy from apple to drive the price of what seemed to be the standard flagship phone down when really what they were doing is making a cheaper version of the of the phone you know so if you had the the 10 right for example the 10 10s you could see that the 10r was the cheaper version of that because it came afterwards it had fewer uh features but then with the 11 they introduced them as like here's the 11 and then we have these other ones as well they have very similar features across the board right like it was a very different pitch that apple gave so what they ended up was to create a strategy where the 11 was the entry point um where i think previously like the 10s was the entry point and then maybe you would go down to the 10r but i think apple put together a really compelling strategy for this holiday season which has ended up working in their favor um, you, you pointed out in the article that you wrote, which I will definitely agree with, that if you combined the Pro lines, it probably beat the 11. But yeah. just from a pure handset sales, the iPhone 11 was the was the most uh, profit, most successful. I know that the the 10R had had previous like great success, uh, yes. but I think it was considered differently i feel like the iphone 11 was really just considered differently shown to be different and there's been less conversation i think about like it being the cheaper phone it just is the standard phone and lots and lots and lots of the reviews uh for these 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 models were just saying that like there isn't really much need to go to the pro like you don't have to do that you really should start at the 11 and so i think it ended up working out well for them 
Yeah, if you view this as a um, multi-year kind of repositioning of the entire iPhone line, which we're probably not done with even now, it's probably going to continue next year or this fall. Well, all of the rumors say that we're going to four phones, right? Like that's, exactly, so. right? Four, four plus possibly an SE, right? Yeah. So um, if you think about that, though, but think about the old model. The old model was, uh, you know, seven, you know, six S and six S plus seven S, and so it, it, it's. Now, then they added the 10, and then there was this kind of like, well, 10 plus the 10 Pro Max, but also the 10R, and like, how are we going to all do this? And this year we got it like, no, 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 no. Now we've redefined it again. Like that 10 that was high-end and and yet was also kind of mainstream is now firmly high-end. And like, it's it's fascinating to see them do this because this is a high-wire act, right? They're, they, this iPhone is everything, so you don't want to mess it up. But it seems to be, uh, be working, and the iPhone did pretty well. Yeah, I think it is pretty clear at this point that the 10 was a misstep in some ways especially around the way that apple positioned it in the lineup you know like we often make the joke about like remember the iphone 8 right it's just like the forgotten iphone right which was just because we have a new iphone but you don't care about this one because we have that other one but oh but by the way that's too expensive for you. i know they, they they sold a lot of tens though and that was the they record did. quarter so I, I think i don't know if i would say it was a misstep i think i think it was a gamble and it didn't you know and it kind of paid off but it did require them to do a lot of cleanup afterward and we're still kind of in the cleanup now yeah i think they reeled a bit though right which is like they had that big quarter i agree because people were excited about that but i think it didn't do so well for them after but anyway we don't need to get into that now the numbers speak for themselves uh mac and ipad saw declines year over year um from an article i'm this is, I'm reading some quotes out from some articles that you wrote in Six Colors and Macworld. Uh, both products had a difficult year-over-year comparison due to the launches of MacBook Air, Mac Mini, and iPad Pro during the December quarter a year ago, which is what Apple said is the reason yep. for this. That's the t- that's the old tough compare argument. Tough compare. Tough compare. Tough compare. I don't. Oh, yes, tough. The compare. I feel was very like this tough. tough compare is a tough compare, honestly, because <laughs> we had a 16-inch MacBook Pro and a Mac Pro, like, and I feel like. That should well, have helped balance mm, it out a little Mac bit. Pro, I, you know. I think Mac Pro is insubstantial because it shipped very late, if at all, in the quarter and is a low-volume product. I do think 16-inch MacBook Pro, there's at least a little bit of an argument there. Um, but that said, huge pent-up demand for the Mac Mini and enormous pent-up demand for a Retina MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do, so I do buy a certain degree of this tough compare, but it's an excuse. Uh, and on the iPad side, I actually do agree that that new iPad Pro came out and people were really waiting for it and everybody loved it and they sold a lot of them. And this year, kind of nothing happened. I get that. I, I see it with the iPad for sure. I mean, because there was a lot of movement in iPad last year. Um, I, there was a new iPad mini. There was a new uh, like the, the iPad Air and the new iPad, right? All of those products came out in that year, so there would have been focus on the holiday quarter to replace some of those. There was yeah. nothing. Right? There was there was barely anything that we got, uh, especially around the Pro line in 2019, that could have pushed that. So I see it with the iPad more than I see it with the Mac. Uh, but there is a thing where it's like, whilst the MacBook Pro is a highly desired machine, is probably Apple's best-selling laptop at this point, Maybe, maybe, maybe Apple's best-selling laptop. I think it could vary between the air, right? But we know it sells well. But the thing is, it was the larger model, and I reckon they sell more 13s than they do 15s or 16s. Yes, I think and that's. I think that's probably true. They're mostly going into business, right? Mm-hmm. And I assume people had already made purchasing decisions. Like it's going to take a while to move 
back to the 16. Like that's going to slowly turn over. Um, Wearables up 37% year over year to $10 billion. This is uh, the now 12th straight quarter of over 20% year over year growth, which is just (laughs) absolutely bananas, right? Like, I know we talk, we spoke about it like last week. We've been speaking about it in the weeks before. Both wearables and services, it is easy to pay attention to what we always think about, right? iPhone, Mac, iPad. But these growth levels are absolutely insane and are going to continue to significantly change Apple's product mix. Because yep. when you are seeing areas of your company growing, 37% year over year, you are on to something. So you have to keep focusing on it. Did you see the, right. the Roger Quo rumor of the head pods? <laughs> it's Ming-Chi Quo, codename Roger, only a codename mm-hmm. Roger. But yes, uh, the head pods, the, uh, the, there's over another your Apple over your headphones coming out. And we talked about that. Like, how could you not look at this category and say, yep. because Tim Cook said, AirPods were a record. Apple Watch was a record in terms of revenue. And I think two interesting points. One is um, they couldn't make enough AirPods Pro. And they asked him, as the analysts always do, I love it. They're like, when do you think you're going to get in balance with the AirPods Pro? And Tim said, I don't know. Like literally, we can't make them fast enough to sell them. And then the other thing that was an interesting tidbit is also in this quarter, they couldn't make enough Series 3 Apple Watches. Because it turns out you sell an Apple Watch for $199, people get really interested in that Apple Watch who maybe Mm -hmm. didn't do it before, which is probably one of the reasons why 75% of Apple Watch purchases in the quarter were to people who had never had an Apple Watch before. That's wild. uh, That is a wild statistic. That's pretty good for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Keep in mind, they're almost certainly in the Apple ecosystem because you you can't buy an Apple Watch without an iPhone. Although Tim Cook did say... He has some suspicion that at least some of the people who are buying into the Apple Watch, they're doing it as a, you know, I, I want to get an iPhone so that I can get an Apple Watch. I'm sure there is a little bit of that. Sure. But there are so many iPhones out there that there's a huge group of iPhone users who Apple can still kind of finally break down the, the barriers and get and sell them an Apple Watch. And the fact that, that I'm sure the Apple Watch Series 5 did well, but the fact that the Series 3, that they did not anticipate its demand... Um, they said he said that one is back in balance, or they think it'll be back in balance this quarter. They'll make enough of them. But um, what a great sign that is, right? That Apple didn't expect the demand, and you know, one ninety nine or two ninety nine for cellular. But let's, I mean, I imagine the bulk of it is the one ninety nine. Having a cheap Apple Watch, it's a big deal. I would also say, well, I don't think this would be such a huge driver, but I bet there was definitely a a difference because of the amount of variants Apple offered in this season, the Series Five. With the different materials, right? They were able to maybe cover a larger, um, larger market for price. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's that's it. That's exactly it. This is the Tim Cook strategy, right? Which is let's leave that older model around at a low price so that people have a way in, and um, I think it works. And honestly, that Series Three Apple Watch is great. Mm-hmm. Like what you're missing is you're missing the wide, the the bigger display, and the always on. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, there, there's some other things, but like, it's it's really great. And yep. for 199, like, yeah, that's that's actually a great deal. And that's you're in Fitbit territory then, yep. which is it's good for Apple to be down there. So, it's, but then it, for no people wonder that it did well. That won it. You know, you can go up to 
a thousand or more dollars. Exactly. And they have yeah, more options the, with, there now than they did before. Totally. And and then on the AirPod side, what we said before, like, how? yeah, if you're Apple and you're looking at this, how could you not be like, let's pour as much. This is hot. Mm-hmm. Let's do as much as we possibly can because we have struck on something with this stuff. And uh, people make, you know, uh, sometimes people roll their eyes about services, which we're going to get to because services is sort of not traditionally Apple and it's sort of like selling th- more things into existing Apple customers. But I think wearables, which has actually been um, growing faster than services because it's starting from a lower point, but growing faster than services for the last two plus three almost years. Um, these are Apple products, right? These are core Apple products, Apple doing what it does well and having them um, be received well in the market. Yeah, and you gotta, you got to remember, right, we all have our fiefdoms, right? You know, you're a Mac person, or iPad person, or whatever your fiefdom ends up being. But both services and wearables made significantly more money this quarter than both of those products, right? Like, Apple probably made more money in wearables than they did in iPads. Like, sorry, in AirPods than they did in iPads, right? Like... Sure. $10 billion they made, and they made like six on the iPad and seven on the Mac. Like, these are not just growth areas, they are areas that are actually making them more money. Like, you know, and if you're thinking about like a fiscally responsible company, like a company responsible to its shareholders, keep doing it because, as well, we're going to talk about the Apple report card later on as well. Apple's customers, including people that are like, critically thinking about apple people that are really tied to their fiefdoms the areas that are scoring like the highest on the report card is like wearables because the products are so good so why would you not continue to pour money into that so i think we're going to obviously going to continue to see that plus services up 17 percent to 12.7 billion dollars it now accounts for 14 percent of apple's overall business which is more than any other product line uh, except for uh, the iPhone, of course. It's twice the size of the iPad, almost twice the size of the Mac. Apple's gross margin on products, so their physical products that they sell is 34.2%. Its gross margin on services is 64.4%. So they actually make more profit on services as well. Yeah, twice as much. A dollar for dollar. Yeah, which is, yeah. you know, look... You got to think about what this company is now. This company is an iPhone company that wants to give you headphones and have you watch their TV shows. <laughs> this is primarily who Apple is now, and yep. that's totally play good, games right? And, like yep. totally good. But but it's just worth remembering. Um, there were this is this is a wild one to me. All of this growth it came from outside of Asia, which is not what we've seen when Apple's had big growth in the past. You know, big growth in the past, you can tie it to Asia, but they were actually flat year over year in the Asian territories. A lot of growth in America, growth in Europe and, and elsewhere. But that was that was a surprise to me when I when I was looking through the, the results. And I think probably Apple's pretty happy about that because they've been able to show that they can turn growth, they can turn the key to make their products better, to make people want them, not just because they tap into markets where there's lots of people who don't have their products, right? So I think that that was, this yeah. is probably a good shackle for them to to shed in this quarter. And then, I mean, they did turn around. They actually showed growth in China, um, which is, um, which is, they were down the last few, few like last year plus, they, they were down. 
Um, they were down in Japan, which is weird because that's one of their stronger markets. There was a question in the analyst call about that. And it sounds like Japan just went through a big phone unbundling like um, like, like the US did, did a few yeah. years ago mm-hmm. where you can't – there's only so much the carriers can embed. And then in, beyond that, you have to buy it. And what Tim Cook basically said was, you know, <laughs> that means that there's sticker shock and we have to put in the, the trade-in programs and uh, people are going to hold their phones longer and then it's all going to work out. But he, he said, you know, Japan's a great market for us. And then um, like China, not only did the iPhone kind of come back in China, but Apple is, we talked about um, in the early days of the iPhone, the halo effect from first off the iPod, but the iPhone about people getting into Apple through that product and then buying Mm -hmm. Macs and iPads. That's happening in China still. Like he said that they are selling a huge number of Macs and iPads, like records in China. And that's because Apple you know is there with the iphone and that iphones were all among the like top six sellers in china in the quarter of phones um that uh it's benefiting their other products so they're they, they have lots of positive stories in a bunch of places um but yeah yeah um japan they definitely took took kind of a whack but yeah us and europe this was by far a just like a way way better quarter than they've had in a while Estimates for Q2 are between 63 to 67 billion, uh, which would be the largest ever Q2 in revenue. Be another be another record if they did it. Now it's a wider uh, guidance than they normally do because they're a little concerned about the coronavirus, mm-hmm. um, especially given their operations in China. They're, they they decided to be a little more uh, conservative there and, and provide wider guidance. But they're, they're guiding, and this is, I've said it before, every three months we say this, this is what the Wall Street people look at. Like the Wall Street people are good to have their confirmations or, or to find out if Apple over or undershot for the holidays. But what they really want to know, because the stock prices are all based on the future, is what does Apple think they're going to do in the current quarter? When they reported in three months, and they said, "Yeah, it's going to be a record, and they're going to they're going to grow again. They're going to have another growth quarter after this one, and that's a that's a big deal." All right, this episode is brought to you by our friends over at Pingdom from SolarWinds. Do you have a website? Does your website have a shopping cart or a registration form or even contact us pages? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you want Pingdom for your website because nobody wants their critical website transactions, their pages, to fail. This means a bad experience for your users. It could mean lost business for you. But the good news is you can set up transaction monitoring with Pingdom. This will alert you when cart checkout or forms or login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will let you know the moment any of these issues arise in whatever way is best for you. And you can customize how you're alerted and who is alerted depending on the outage severity so you can have the right person dealing with the issue. Pingdom is not just monitoring when a customer of yours is on your website and it doesn't work. They are doing real-time monitoring themselves. They have machines and powerful technology that is emulating these visits to your website to make sure that this stuff is working. So they're doing the testing for you. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you will be the first to know. It's super easy to get started. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now and you can get a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, Use the code UPGRADE at checkout to get a massive 30% of your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, it has happened again. Jason Snell has, pu- has compiled and published the Six Colors report card for what is, I was surprised to see, the fifth year 
that you've been doing this? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, well, that we, was a surprise. It's the first year me. we've been doing this too. I know, but I didn't. Rem- I remember. I knew that, but I didn't remember that the report card has been going for this period for that amount of time too. So this was a really great idea that you had. It's not not wasn't my wasn't my idea. It's Koi Vin, uh, the designer, who said I've been looking for a sucker who thinks that this is a good idea and would do it every year. And I was like, well, I just started my site. Let's try it. And uh, so now I have to do it every year, which is fine. It's well, good. Well, it's a good were, thing. But it I was, would say you were a smart my man idea. for taking it because it's just one of those things that now like people look forward to it. Um, and it always generates, you know, I, I think probably quite is quite successful. Yep. I always see people talking about it and publishing. Yeah, people talk about it. It was on TechMeme, which is kind of fun. And uh, Te- there's always at least one person who thinks all of the quotes in it are me. So they send me their comments about the things that I said that ah, I didn't say. Why did you say that? Me. It's hilarious every time. Also, I would say for those who haven't read through it, I tried to intersperse. My, my panelists said some funny things. So there are some laugh out loud moments there in there. I laughed there. Mm-hmm. many, many times in the compiling of it. Um, and thank you to CGB Gray for the funniest moment in the entire thing. Yeah, maybe we'll go read it uh, if they want to find out which yeah. one that is. Uh, so yep. you sent out this survey to a vast group of individuals and commenters in the Apple community. You asked them to grade Apple in a series of areas on a one to five scale. Uh, then you take in all of that. So as we do, we, we typically will go through the report card. Every, well, we have gone through the report card every year on the show. So it's also become like a little tradition here too. I broke from tradition this time. Uh, in the past, I have never given you quotes for the the, the report card. This time I yep. did. Uh, you didn't do anything mm-hmm. with them, but uh, I will now read them all to you on the show. <laughs> I got to reword the thing. I put a thing in about like whether you wanted to be quoted or not, and you checked the box of don't quote me, so I didn't quote you. So yeah, we'll have to work on that for next time. Well, that was my fault then, wasn't it? Because I did not want <laughs> that to be the case. But what I did was uh, I knew that no matter what, right, you're not going to use everything I say verbatim. That's hilarious that I took that box. Uh, but because I will now, I will read them to you along with giving my personal no. scores, and I want to get your scores as well. Uh, okay, I, I didn't. I also didn't vote or participate, exactly. so this will be new. So that's why I want. I want to get the, the the raw Jason Snell scores on this this episode. Mm. So we'll go through oh, each boy. category. I've picked out a few uh, of the comments that I think sum up a lot of the views that people had, um, and oh, I just thought were interesting. Um, so we can talk through any of those if you want to. Um, and then I will get your scores, your comments, and then I'll give my score and my comment as well for each category. So we'll start with the Mac. Great. Uh, it scored 3.6 out of 5 overall, which is up 0.2 from last year. Uh, the new keyboard in the 16-inch was praised, I think. is People are happy, but there are still reservations held by the community about this. So, for example, Christina Warren said they should have sorted the keyboard out faster and also should have been more transparent about the issue itself. And John Maltz, I think, put it quite nicely. You shouldn't get that much credit simply for fixing your long-term mistakes. Uh, <laughs> I just, I, th- I thought they was very succinct there, and it, and it made a lot of sense to me. There were a lot of people... A lot of people in the hardware category, which we'll get to. This was this was a theme, which is a lot of my panelists were like, I'm glad that they fixed the butterfly keyboard on that one MacBook Pro, but do I really want to grade them up for fixing a problem that they should have fixed several years ago and it's still in the other laptops? That was sort of a... So it's like everybody's optimistic about it and saw it as a good sign, but is not sure they want to give them a lot of credit for it because it was lingering the whole year. I do give them credit, but we'll get to that in a bit. 
Uh, John Syracuse right. says the Mac Pro is a bright spot in Apple's 2019, a long expected party for high end Mac users. Apple has listened, party, party. To, has listened to its customers that can always use more power and expandability and are willing to pay for it. And John Gruber says, I don't know a single expert Mac user who is not seriously annoyed by the heavy handed security design of Mac OS Catalina. So, Jason, I would like to know your score out of five for the Mac and any comments that you have for it. Well, I'm just making it up now because I, I literally don't vote. Um, I think I'm gonna... I want your score now. I want you to give it to me now. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm i going to give it a three. Mm. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to score it lower than the, uh, than the average. Wow. I, for, for, so here are the reasons. Um, the MacBook Air and the 13-inch MacBook Pro continue to ship with the butterfly keyboard. Yep. It's great that they fixed it on the one. I am not going to give Apple credit for fixing something that was a mistake they made more than two years ago and that have failed to rectify over all of this time that has ca- that has tarnished the brand of the MacBook and Apple and made a lot of users really un- unhappy. Um, we're going to come to it later with software, but like Catalina, difficult beta, um, when it ships, you know, the 32-bit apps are away. Uh, Catalyst has been a disappointment. Um, I, I, you know, I all I can say is it's great. I think they're positioned well for next year. Um, but I can't give them credit for turning it around in the last couple of months. Um, the Mac Pro is great. I'll also point out that although John Syracuse says right, there's a party for high-end Mac users, he's also right when he says it's long expected. Apple promised that Mac Pro more than two years ago. And they shipped it on, you know, the last month of, of 2019. So I'm not going to give them a lot of credit for that. I'm glad they finally did it, but that took forever to come out too. Um, so yeah, that's, that's I, I give it a three. I'm going to be harsher than the than the panel, I think. I'm kinder than you and the, most, the panel at large. I give the Mac a four this year. Um, honestly, for me, if, if Catalina wasn't what Catalina was, I think I would have scored it, well, I definitely would have scored it higher than a four. Sure, uh, because you know I feel like that this wasn't good. Like Catalina overall wasn't good. There were a lot of issues with it, and again, we will actually touch on these again in a little bit. Uh, but I, and I just feel like it, it really kind of sucked the air out of the room of the Mac this year. I agree. I, I think that Apple have done a really great job of Mac hardware this year. Um, I. I will give them credit for fixing the laptops. I mean, I'm not going to punish them for not fixing them, but I'm also not going to give them credit for fixing them quite yet because they're not all fixed. That's the other problem is they're not all fixed. We we make some assumptions, but like I really want to see that keyboard out of all yep. of the laptops. I am making assumptions, um, but basically my okay. my feeling is that like I would not have been surprised if Apple never fixed it because they may have never considered it quote unquote broken. Well, that's why they get a three, and if they don't fix it next year, that's why they'll get a, another bad score and the anger of the panel. And I also do rate them for the Mac Pro. I think that that is really incredible hardware, and I know that they, you know, I know what you're saying about it was promised a long time ago, but that was, but I also feel like they deserve credit for that even because they told us basically when they started the project. So that was like a good thing to have done then, and I think. Honestly, like I know people don't like the price and I get it, but people that are interested and are and or are willing to pay the money for this machine, they're getting like one of the best Macs maybe ever made for, for what it does, right? Like it's incredibly powerful and incredibly expandable. Like I, I am genuinely very excited about that computer. Like it maybe maybe like 
if I wasn't such an iPad person now, there may be a Mac Pro sitting under my desk. Like if I was as heavy into the Mac as I used to be, I think that I would struggle to have resisted it, right? Like in the same way, basically what happened to Stephen Hackett. Absolutely. Uh, Let's talk about the iPhone overall 4 up 0.1. Federico Vitici says, the iPhone 11 Pro camera has made me fall in love with taking pictures on my iPhone all over again. Carolina Milanese says, the strongest portfolio yet. I particularly like the iPhone 11 being their mass market option aimed at younger users as well as more price conscious ones. And Stephen Hackett says, I'm not sure what lessons Apple needs to learn over the release of iOS 13, but I hope that we won't see another cycle like this one. Jason, what is your score and comments, please? Yeah, I'm going to give it a four. Um, and for the same reasons said, I think that this is an incredibly strong hardware line. I really like the iPhone 11. Um, my my daughter took one off to college. It's great. And she still loves it. Um, the camera stuff was really great. They did what they needed to do to upgrade the camera. And this would be a five, but for the debacle of iOS 13. Yeah, I'm a four, and basically for the the same reasons. This is the most compelling lineup of iPhones since they changed to the the, the design model. And I say this in such a way, it's like, well, yeah, of course it is. But I don't, you know, looking back, like the 10s wasn't really that much more over the 10, really, you know. But like the 11, I think has really stepped up. Like whilst looking the same, I think is like maybe more than many phones in a long time has actually really earned its number change. Like, I, I understand that people think of these designs as incremental changes, but the increment, quote-unquote incremental changes that they made to the camera and the battery this year were huge. Like, really big. Totally. Like, changes the way I use my phone kind of changes, and they don't come along very often. Like, just the battery alone, the way that it changes how I use my phone is really amazing for me so i give it a four it would have got four marks if ios 13 wouldn't have been so buggy if ios 13 would have just come out and was as stable as it should have been this would have been a four marks from me um but because the ios 13 itself i don't have any problems with i had problems with how bad it was right from a from a quality perspective when released So move on to the iPad. Overall, 3.9, down 0.1 year over year. Davindra Hardwar says, the new iPad is a tremendous deal. It's getting to a point where every gadget geek should own one. This is like the, the regular iPad iPad. Uh, Casey List says iPad OS is definitely a step in the right direction. And David Sparks says we just need Apple to keep the gas down on iPad OS improvements. John yeah. Gruber says to say that I am not a fan of iPad OS is an understatement. Getting the split screen and the slide over stuff to work is utterly unintuitive. It's madness. And Federico Vitici says there's still plenty left to address from refinements to multi-window and the files app to bigger questions that are looming large over the iPad's role in Apple's ecosystem. What have you got, Jason? I'm going to say four again um, for a lot of the same reasons. Um, by the way, John Gruber, over the 10th anniversary of the iPad, he he wrote a lot about uh, the iPad stuff and it's funny because I had seen much of that before because it was his submission <laughs> mm-hmm. and then he kind of like riffed on it and I ended up coming up with this after the fact but um, I, I and and I put those two quotes from Gruber and Vitici together because there's somebody who doesn't get the iPad and doesn't like it and there's somebody there who loves the iPad and uses it all the time and people are always like oh you guys should argue about the iPad it's like well d- John and Federico not basically agree i mean federico puts a more positive spin on it but like they both are saying there's more work to do here and as david sparks said you named this thing ipad os so now are you going to keep the the um 
improvements coming rather than taking another year off. And that's my concern. But this year, they did uh, add a bunch of improvements that I wanted. Um, I, I think it could be better. Um, I'm looking forward to a new iPad Pro. Their hardware lineup for the iPad is spectacular. Like you talk, we talked about the Apple Watch and and uh, having a low end product and a high end product and having a little bit of a range. The iPad has a better range than any product line I think that Apple provides. It's you know that that cheap iPad. Um, like one of my panelists, I didn't put in the in the uh, uh, the story, but one of my panelists says, you know, we bought a couple of iPads, low low model iPads for cheap at Costco, and it's like that should be an option, right? Like you should be able to go from that, an iPad at Costco, all the way up to the iPad Pro. So uh, for almost five, I feel like iOS 13 and the fact that uh, some of the iPad OS um, quirks are still there. Uh, there were some letdowns. The file stuff that got introduced is still not really uh, consistent, um, which is frustrating. I was just trying to connect to my local server via SMB today, which is a feature of iOS 13. It didn't work. It just didn't work. So there's more work to be done. But um, but otherwise, you know, generally super positive and four out of five. Yeah, I give it a four too. I'm happy that iPadOS exists and cursor support has been huge for me this year. I'm really, really excited about it. I'm so happy they added that feature. Um, that's something I've wanted for a while and it's made big changes for me this year. Uh, I think multi-window is the worst part of iPadOS because it just isn't implemented properly. And I want to see yeah. them do the yeah. tweaks to that that they have done to multitasking. I understand that people don't like multitasking, but I uh, I kind of disagree with a lot of the criticism. I, I feel like all computer systems are unintuitive until you learn them. Uh, and it's just like a, a general feeling about how you learn them and what works for you and what doesn't. I think that, I th- honestly, I think it is a little harsh to just blanket call it unintuitive. I, I don't think that's accurate to just say it as a fact. Um, I, I feel like it's better when these things are placed as opinion uh, because I use my iPad to great effect every day and find it so much easier to use than the Mac. I'll give you an example, Jason, that just like in a general, like how frustrating is this to use? I'm using my uh, MacBook Pro today and I wanted to have two Chrome windows side by side and I had to like sit and drag each one of them until I could get them at the right sizes to fill up half of the screen, right? Like, cause it's just like window management stuff. Yeah, you should use Moom, by the way, for many tricks. Right, but that's the thing. <laughs> what, so I have to install third party software to get split yeah. screen to work properly? Like, this is just a, I feel like this is a, you either come at it one way or another. Yeah. And you have different, and because like, everybody understands things, they use these things differently. But I don't, I have not enjoyed the the uh, rhetoric of the last week where there is just, iPad is a failure, you're an idiot for using it, and everything they do is wrong. And I just feel like that this is the perception that is then whipped up. Right. And, and I just I don't agree with it is, is basically what I want to say. Yeah, no, that, I, I think that's I, I don't entirely agree with it, but I think there's plenty to criticize. I agree that there is plenty to criticize. And as you said, I think it's also true that if you've ever looked at as somebody who's a novice computer user, use a Mac, you'll see just how unintuitive the Mac is, too. Yeah. Um, everything's got their issues. I, I had a back and forth with. Uh, Dave Nanian, um, that the was software developer, yesterday where to read. where where you know he basically said, I if I had all my Apple devices, the one I'd give up is the iPad. And I said that's funny. I, I did give up my laptop. So, mm-hmm. uh, but the point was that that I thought was good that came out of that was uh, the Mac is built around multi window, lots of things floating in your face, multitasking, and that's the primary use of it. 
ever since they introduced multitasking on the Mac, mm-hmm. um, and really since they had multi-window from the beginning. And the iPad is fundamentally, its default is a full screen. And I think Mac full screen is actually really weird and bad. <laughs> and I think multitasking on iPad is weird and sometimes very frustrating. And, you know, I, I think I think you could we can we can all say that like they're different. They're different. How about that? Yeah, I think that the bones of multi-window are there, but they need to do a better job of uh, making it more intuitive. Like I, that is that the multi-window stuff is was not implemented very well. But multitasking, right. the bones of iPad multitasking, I think are there, and, and all they need to do is just refine on it. Like it is by no means a solved issue. Like all of the multi-app stuff on iPad. But I think that where they are right now is more than usable. And the reason I know this is because I use it every day to run my company. So, Yep. Yep. Anyway, Apple Watch, overall 4.1, down 0.2. Lex Friedman says, I love the Apple Watch Series 5 so much. My favorite feature is the time. It tells me the time all the time, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is just a... A very great Lex quote, but like just really perfectly <laughs> says why like the best feature of the Apple Watch Series 5 is the always-on display. And as Dan Provost says, the significance of the always-on display cannot be overstated. Stephen Hackett says, the always-on display has brought me back to the Apple Watch. It fundamentally changed the way I think about the Apple Watch for the better. Carolina Milanese says, Apple owns the smartwatch category. Apple Watch is no accessory. That is very true. I mean, and Carolina, very smart. Uh, analyst and has said that and then we come to the earnings report and then tim cook saying yeah people buy iphones because of apple watches so she nailed that one completely right like it is not an accessory it's, it's actually a driver for them for some people now uh and cgp gray says about the apple watch let's not even talk about apple watch faces five years on and nothing really actionable is being done with all the health data that it has as well so gray is complaining about watch faces and health data what if what are, where are you with this jason um, Apple Watch. I, you know, I, I never give the top rating to anything because you can always be better. And you've seen that because I keep giving things fours. So, uh, you know, I kind of, I'll say four again. I, I, I really like Apple Watch Series 5. I think they ticked the last box in terms of like the features that they needed to, that they needed to do that like fundamentally make this product what it needs to be. Plus the series three is still available at one ninety nine, which is pretty good. Um, watch OS update, you know, all the OS updates were a little bit shaky um, and we'll see where it goes from here. But I think it's a, uh, I think it was a good year for the Apple watch. The Apple watch achieves one of my lower ratings. I give it a three. Um, the Apple watch hardware is incredible. Like, so the series five hardware is absolutely fantastic in the way it is built, the options that they have for it now. And like I have the white ceramic, which I love that thing, just to look at it. And the always on screen is the only reason that I would consider ever wearing an Apple Watch. And just as an update, I wear it. Uh, like So I tend to rotate my watches that I own. I own uh, four watches now, including the Apple Watch. And I wear them like a week at a time. Um, I just will leave one on for a week unless I want one for a specific reason. And my Apple Watch is still in that rotation. I will wear it and I'm very happy to wear it. But the watch faces are just poor still, right? Like I'm not happy with the customization ability of the Apple Watch face when it is a computer. I, in theory, should be able to do a million things with it, right? Like I feel like they are not giving enough customization to what could be very customizable. 
Um, notification preferences are still a nightmare to the point that I think Apple's never going to do anything of to to really make the best that they can of granularity of notification on that device. Uh, and they should have added sleep tracking by now. And I and I honestly can't believe they haven't done that. So I I think WatchOS, I think is 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 pulling and it has pulled. Uh, the Apple Watch down for me. I think they haven't done enough on watchOS. I think they're putting a lot of really great resources in t- and time into the hardware and the major watchOS features that are being added are necessary for their hardware improvements. I don't think they're doing enough about the actual operating system itself and like the fundamentals of it. Um, so that's where I am with, with Apple Watch. Okay. Uh, wearables is a 4.6 overall, and you added wearables as a new category this year, right? You split it out from just Apple Watch. Yeah, wearables. well, the wearables is now a category in a way that it wasn't when I started the survey, and yeah. I have never changed a survey category before, but what I decided to do is add in wearables with an eye toward possibly removing Apple Watch at some point and using the historic data from wearables. But I, in order to keep that uh, data continuous, I need to kind of have them both live there for a while. So I, I think added wearables on top of Apple Watch. To have them separate, honestly, because like I don't think of the Apple Watch as wearables in the way that but Apple it, I mean, does. I know okay, that that's how they account it. But, yeah. um, but like, I, I do think of it as different because like none of the other wearable products have an operating system that developers can make apps for yet. Right, so like I, I feel like that that adds a different area to this. But so wearables got a four point six. Um, Josh Center says I think it's impressive that Apple is selling out of the two hundred and fifty dollar wireless earbuds that they make. Uh, Stephen Aquino says that AirPods Pro are without a doubt his favorite Apple product of the year. And Christina Warren says the AirPods Pro are an incredible upgrade in almost every single way, and are a great example of quintessential Apple refinement. What is your score for wearables? I'm gonna give it a five. I get yeah, me too. Five. Like, right. there's not there's nothing else to say. I'll, I'll say I gave the four to the Apple Watch, and you know you throw in the AirPods, and let's just round it all the way up to five because the AirPods are great, and we have talked about them at length here. The original AirPods were the most kind of quintessentially Apple product, uh, as Christina said, in a long time, and the AirPods Pro kind of continue that, and they're the the fact that they're both out there, and so they've got again a range. You can get the cheaper product, you can get the kind of higher end product with the noise canceling. M- more please, right? Like mm-hmm. for people who want over your headphones, let's do that. Let's see what that product looks like. But um, they're firing on all cylinders. They're really good at this. It makes me really curious and a little bit trepidatious about what they are thinking about augmented reality because that's a wearable too, and part of me thinks. I don't entirely understand what that product's going to be and how it would be rolled out whenever it might be rolled out. And part of me thinks, well, they're doing a really good job with wearables, so maybe they've got this down. I don't know. And then Apple TV uh, is overall 2.7, which is up (laughs) 0.1 from last year. Adam Angst says, talk about ignored technology. Marco Ahmed says the TV app changed, but still an unintuitive buggy mess designed like a magazine instead of usable software, fitting in nicely with the rest of tvOS. And Benjamin Mayo says Apple TV hardware is too expensive for what it offers in 2019. Yeah, I'm going to give it a three, um, but that's because I like what happened this year where Apple rolled out the TV app on other platforms. I feel like I'm starting to define what the Apple TV category is a little differently and have it include not just the hardware. I think I think looking at the results, there are two ways to view this. And one is to view it as a question about that little black box. And another is a question about sort of like Apple as a TV platform. And Apple as a TV platform came a long way. 
um, because they're on other devices for the first time. Because you can get access to your Apple uh, streaming service, but also like your iTunes movies and like all of that stuff is available on all sorts of TVs and other streaming boxes. And I think it's a big deal. Um, the Apple TV itself is fine, but it's not great. The remote is not great. Um, I don't have as big a problem with some of the interface stuff as other people do. I think it's a perfectly fine thing. Somebody in the survey said, um, it's the Apple product I use the most. Um, and I hate it. (laughs) Basically I had two panelists who said the Apple TV feels like something Amazon would have shipped because it's all about selling you other things which is, I think, a really good burn that both Rob Griffiths and Josh Josh Centers came up with. Um, so, you know, it's mixed and it's overpriced. Like, that's the other thing of the hardware, the Apple TV hardware. I understand maybe having a premium product like that that provides premium features if you want to spend more money. I'm unclear on how premium it really is. It doesn't seem like it does a whole lot more other than giving you access to Apple's app ecosystem than, I mean, I bought a, a 4k amazon fire stick for like 25 bucks for my daughter's uh, room for the the tv that we put in there now that she's not in there most of the time um and you know 20 25 bucks and is it is it as good as the apple tv 4k no but it was 25 bucks and it has an apple tv app on it so yeah yeah it's a it's a tough one i think the hardware i'd rate a lot lower but um i do like what they did with their approach to apps with uh getting them on other platforms I gave it a three. I had no comment. It's just like, I yeah. mean, it's like what it is, what it is. A three with great reservations. And a, yeah, this is one of those categories. It's very much like everybody kind of went eh. like just, mm, eh. yeah. I should have graded it lower, but I kind of was just apathetic to it rather than annoyed. If they hadn't rolled out those apps on other platforms, I probably would have called this two, but um or one, but I, I like that. I like that Apple broke out of it right now. This was a year where Apple said, Apple TV is not just going to be inside a that box. little black box. Yeah, and I, and I am happy that they made that decision because, you know, it would have been ridiculously stupid to do this any other way, right? Like Apple TV Plus will not work if Apple locked it down to their hardware. Like it never would, it never will never succeed that way. Right. Um, and I was pleased that they had the forethought to break from their traditional ways of doing things to embrace making applications for other platforms. Like, you know, we've seen Apple do this in the past when it benefited them, right? Like iTunes is a great example, right? They put iTunes on Windows because they wanted to sell iPods. They put the TV app on TVs and, and other devices because they want people to watch their content. And it's the only way they can get the world to watch their content is by making it available to everyone in theory. So I'm pleased that they did it. All right, let's take a break and we'll continue with the report card. This episode is also brought to you by KiwiCo. If you have kids, you know how great it is when you can find something for them to do that is educational and fun, which is a difficult balance to make. Coming up with ideas and planning projects out yourself can take a lot of time. And if you're a parent, you're probably very busy. We're all very busy, right? You want to have ideas provided to you in a great way and that is where KiwiCo comes in. They create super cool hands-on projects for kids uh, to make learning about science, technology, engineering, art, math, STEAM uh, fun to do. It's designed by experts, tested by kids, and there's no need to research or worry about gathering all of the supplies because they give you everything you're going to need and the things that you may need extra. It's like stuff like scissors, which I'm sure you have at home somewhere. There are eight lines to choose from, so they have eight different types of box 
uh, from babies to teenagers. And each month, the kid in your life receives a new, fun, and engaging project with all of the supplies that they need to challenge themselves creatively. Their crates come with everything that you need, all of the supplies for that month's project, detailed, easy-to-follow instructions written for kids, and an educational magazine to go alongside it. Uh, I recently built one of these uh, KiwiCo uh, crates with a, with a little person in my life, and we had a fantastic time. We built this like grabber thing, which is still uh, kicking around at home, which is just like fun. I see this thing. You could just pick stuff up with it. The instructions are really well done. Uh, I was very impressed with the way that they implement things like using stickers to mark out areas and giving you these little templates so you can make sure you get things positioned in the right ways. I could really feel when going through this, like the level at which they had created the instructions, it rivaled like Lego. Like they felt better than even Lego instructions because it felt like they had been tested and tested to the point where they have foreseeing some of the issues that you might have when putting it together. Really cool. I was very impressed. Uh, KiwiCo is a convenient, affordable way to encourage your children to be anything they want to be. There's no commitment. You can cancel any time. Monthly options start at $16.95 a month, including shipping. You can go to kiwico.com slash upgrade, and you'll get your first month for free. That's K-I-W-I-C-O.com slash upgrade. Every day counts when it comes to making a difference, so don't miss out on this opportunity. That is kiwico.com slash upgrade to get your first month for free. Our thanks to KiwiCo for their support of upgrade and all of relay fm so we now move into services overall 3.7 up 0.5 on last year carolina milanese said that the weakest link in the services portfolio is apple news plus john gruber says that they mostly nailed apple tv plus the one year free promotion is just what the doctor ordered for a new service with a very limited library of content James Thompson says Apple Arcade is an aggressively priced service with significantly more good games on it than I have time to play. And Dan Morris says Apple Card has been fine, not as revolutionary as could have been hoped, but also about what was expected. Jason, where are you on services? Um, so Apple Pay and Apple Card, yes. Apple TV Plus, yes. Um... As everybody pointed out, Apple News Plus, no, no, flop, yeah, bad. Apple Arcade, yes. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna say four, four. I, I feel like they're doing a good job with most of their services, um, with the exceptions of free five gigabytes of iCloud backup and uh, Apple News Plus, which was a, a joke. Yeah, for me, uh, I actually give it a five because I'm ignoring Apple News Plus. Like, I'm just, I'm just ignoring it. Like, I don't think that. It, honestly, I just don't oh. even think that it counts. Okay. Um, I know that's a peculiar thing to say, but it's just like the rest of their portfolio is so good that I would, I, I feel like it, it outbalances Apple News Plus in my opinion, because TV Plus has delivered to deliver two of my favorite TV shows of the last year. Um, and Apple Arcade has an incredible lineup for such a low price. Like, I really feel that these two services met and exceeded my expectations uh, in a way that I thought that Apple services overall lineup this year is one of their most compelling things that they've done. Uh, and I think is, is going to set them up really well. So I was very, very proud. I'm very, very pleased, I should say, with what happened there. And so I would rate it that highly. All right. 
Um, so go into home kit and home. Oh, everybody's favorite category. Everybody's yeah, this is this favorite, is not good. This one. Uh, it's overall uh, down zero point one. It's at two point eight. So yep. two point eight out of five. Marco Armit says the home app is still an over-designed form over function, unintuitive mess. Marco's not pulling his punches on this one. Uh, and Stephen Hackett says HomeKit continues to move at a glacial pace. I tried HomeKit secure video and it is nowhere near ready. Yep. Yep. I mean, I think I think Apple has progressed with HomeKit, but they're doing it incredibly slowly. Glacial place is about right. They are finally opening it up. They've got the new uh, standards body that they're trying to build with their competitors. Home, was it Chup? Chip? Ch- chip? Connected chop. home over IP? Chip and Chup? Yeah. Chip Chop. So, yeah. Joy. That's good. Um, the home app is a mess. Uh, they're incredible inconsistencies if you try to use it. There are like features it has, but they're really inconsistent. It's very weird. There's just, it's uh, like, I want to, I want to like it and I use it, but using it makes me like it less and less through time. So I think there's some signs that they may have finally figured out the right way forward here, but this feels like one of those areas where Apple had big plans and then just had no follow through and it's, um, and we're all left kind of hanging. So two. I give it a two as well. Poor design, a poor like device offerings overall. Adoption is super slow. Nothing significant has been added, and anything that has been added this year has not worked out very well. And we've like we passed the year with without like any router companies adopting the uh, secure router project, even though multiple companies said that they would. Like we we went the entire year, and none of that happened. Uh, and the video, secure video stuff seems to have been a bit of a disaster, honestly. So. The intentions are there, but they are not delivering. And I do hope that yep. uh, Choi will change that for them yeah, uh, hope. in the future. But they're also going to need to, to upgrade their uh, their HomeKit game. The I've gone into it, I think, on this podcast, but like I've spent some time the last couple of weeks tinkering around with my HomeKit to try and make it smarter. And all I'm finding is that it is super inconsistent and frustrating and things that it says that it does, it kind of doesn't do. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah. I want it to be better than it is, but they're going to need to improve the home features themselves in the operating systems to do that. And that's that's the real mystery is, are they really committed to doing that or do they think it's good enough? Because it's not. Overall hardware reliability gets to 3.9, which is up 0.1 from the year before. Steve Trout Smith says, with the Mac keyboard issues addressed properly, I hope things are going to trend upwards. And Alex Cox says, there are still going to be butterflies flying around for far too long. Yeah, um, another place where people are pointing out that although it's great that Apple fixed this, that they still ship two laptops with the butterfly keyboard, it's not really fixed. And they're going to sell those laptops through at least part of 2020 because they're already out there. Um, I think Apple's hardware in general is really good across the line. Um, That's a black mark, the keyboard, on an otherwise, I think, pretty solid set of hardware. So I'm going to give them four out of five mostly out of spite for the keyboard <laughs> but um i'm pretty happy with ha- happy with the hardware or to put it another way hardware is not apple's problem right now i gave it a five 
Sure. I don't think about the keyboards as much uh, as everybody is else. The, is the butterfly keyboard a little bit like Apple News Plus to you? You're just going to, um, what? No, I don't know what you're talking about. So my feeling is, my feeling is they've, they've shown that they have it in them to fix it. We haven't heard of any significant, I, I don't think there's significantly widespread problems with the last version of the butterfly keyboard. Well, um, I mean, didn't Stephen hack it? Lose his he, delete key? He had problems, yes. But I said widespread. Like, right. Stephen's the that, only person that I've seen that has had issues with that. The fact that fact. we know somebody who had problems with the new materials, butterfly I keyboard, know. makes me really worried about that. But maybe that, I but just okay. don't trust Stephen's, like, laptop eating He situation. needs to stop eating saltines right over his laptop. I feel like that's his what he's problem. Doing. But yeah. let me tell you why I come from where I come from with my five. I'm thinking of the products Apple released this year, right? So of the stuff that they released in 2019, I feel was very good. That's how I feel, right? Like that the iPhones were fantastic. That the Mac Pro seems to have like been great. The 16-inch MacBook Pro seems to have been great. Like they released a series of products this year, which were all solid. So that's kind of where I'm coming from with this one. Um, people take it differently, right? They look at the overall category, but like. If they didn't release any new laptops this year other than the 16-inch MacBook Pro, right? New materials, MacBook Pros in the spring. Yeah, but I, I mean like new, new. But anyway, yes, I get your point. But I, I, I the, feel and the like IMAX, for me, those fat, the, the speed, bar, speed bump of the IMAX, the new mm-hmm, Mac Pro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I feel like of the stuff that was released in 2019, it was excellent. Well, also, um, it's hardware reliability. It's hardware, so it's like. Also, it's the iPhone and the iPad and the Apple yep. Watch, and yep. like they are killing well, it on great. all of those fronts. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's where I'm coming to it from. Like my personal sure. outlook is like, no, I think they did a really good job this year. So, and because there was no like widespread issues with the iPhones, right? People are always looking for them, and there wasn't one this year, which is a big surprise. Uh, overall, software quality is two point seven down zero point seven. CGP Gray says, it's been a brutally buggy year. Rene Ritchie says, iOS 12 should be the new normal. Laurie Gill says, this year shows an example of how it's better to ship late and ship right than to ship on time with the risk of a poor user experience. And James Thompson says, something failed significantly in Apple's software engineering process this year, and I hope lessons have been learned. Jason? Yeah. I mean... It's hard not to argue. This is the this is my feeling is is the software. Apple is a company that is in many cases when you look at it, appears to be incredibly well optimized and organized. They buy they buy components in advance based on the projections for the availability of those components. They have factories that they've got a shipping set up. They, they are so their supply chain for hardware, their hardware design stuff. You know, occasionally there's a, a thing like an air power, but although that's more of a mistake of announcing a product before it was ready. Um, but like so much of Apple, we look at it and we think this is a really well-run company making great products. And that's why it makes a huge amount of money. The software group, as anybody who's a keen observer of Apple will tell you, seems like it's a complete mess. And I know it's hard. And 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 we've talked about like reasons why. I suspect that at, at its core, uh, part of what's going on here is that Apple is bad at at hiring, <laughs> and that they're they're understaffed. One of the other lines 
in the story was um, Dr. Drang, who said, from the outside, it looks as if the Apple software team just keeps running from fire to fire, an understaffed group barely able to take a breath between crises. And that rings true to me. Um, anybody who knows people who've been approached to be hired by Apple or have gone through an Apple hiring process, like it seems super long and inefficient and slow and confusing. And I think Apple is still running itself like it's got the ambitions of 2009. And um, and what we said earlier about HomeKit, that line about how it's a question about like, did they just kind of build something and then think it's good enough and run off to the next fire is really I think endemic within a lot of Apple software where it feels like there's nobody, they build something, it's, it's buggy. It's, uh, it's got problems. And then they just walk away for a year or longer. And it's hard to tell when you're, when you're on the outside looking in, cause it is kind of a black box, which is why I like James's quote, which is something failed significantly. And I hope they learned their lesson. And that's kind of all you can say. I don't want to pr- provide a prescription cause I don't know the details, but I will say that if I had to list like all of the portions of Apple's business that I can view from afar, one of them seems to be broken and it's software and it's all software. It's operating systems. Um, it's, it's the APIs for developers. It's the user features. It's the beta process. It's their third party apps. There's something really wrong there and whatever it is, I hope they fix it. But more than that, I hope they don't fix it for a year and then break it again because one of the most mind-boggling statistics in this entire thing is software quality over time by my panel because they got a 3.4 in 2016 and it dropped precipitously to a 2.7 in 2017. And then it went up to a 3.4 in 2018 and then dropped back down to 2.7. For 2019, which means we've done this twice now where they've had a good year and then a terrible year and there's been a huge swing. And the lesson here is giving us a good year is not good enough. You need to be consistent. And Apple is unable to be consistent with software quality. So two. Yeah, I completely agree with everything that you said. I give it a two as well. It has been... It's been a very bad year. I feel like it has been plagued with problems and what has actually been shipped, you know, by and large, even if there weren't problems, wouldn't have been that incredible. Like you look at Catalina. Catalina's problem was not that it was full of bugs. Its problem was that like that some of the steps that Apple have taken are just not good, right? Like a lot of the security stuff is just like really frustrating and very difficult, right? And, and, And has not been great for users. And, and it seems like it's very good for some of the stuff Apple wants to do in the future, but that doesn't always translate to being a very nice user experience. Um, and iOS 13 on the iPhone didn't really get a lot. I mean, dark mode's great. I'm happy to have it. Like, I really love it. But in regards to, like, new features for iOS, there wasn't a ton. And they didn't really deliver on any of them in a stable way. So... You know, I I can't yeah. help but agree with Laurie to just be like, you know, I, I understand why you have to ship on time, but really Apple should have a a better fallback mechanism. You know, isn't that the, that famous thing about like you can have it like you can have it cheaper, good, or fast, and, and you you know pick, you can choose pick two. two. Yeah, 
Um, because I, I mentioned, I don't think they have enough developers and some of that is also their policy of like so many things they want core and Cupertino and it's very expensive to live in the Bay area and like their cultural issues that I think that they could address to have a bigger, uh, and perhaps more distributed set of teams working on their software that Apple culturally has been reluctant to do. It's not that they don't do it. Um, Steve Jobs was very reluctant to do it as we know from him telling James Thompson to move to to California or leave. <laughs> um, but it's not just that. And I think there's probably some management and some processes. But the third part of that, the, of the choose two, is time, right? And that's what Lori's quote is about, which is part of the problem here is Apple's annual schedule where everything has to happen, announce in June, betas over the summer, ship in September with the iPhone, and then Mac and ship a little bit later, but not too much later because the features are all tied together. And that's the other part of this is like, can we blame the developers who might know exactly how buggy their software is for their management saying it doesn't matter, you have to ship it? Like, I I don't think you can. So it's all of these things. And I don't know... Like, what's easier for Apple to do? Change their entire shipping concept, change what they put in releases and slow down the pace of releases, which requires them to really swallow their pride about um, rolling out new features that are going to blow people away. Um, so, like, hire more people, slow down the the releases, uncouple themselves from this um, annual calendar that they built up for themselves. They can do these things, but what do they choose to do? Or what I fear is the case, do they choose to just kind of fake it? and apologize and slow down for a year and then everybody forgets that they slowed down and say well geez it's been two years now we need to push it again and then we have another bad year because that's the cycle they're in now is good year bad year TikTok. it's not it's not appropriate it's bad yeah it's just like maybe if they had a way to somehow release ios 13 like three or four weeks later things would have been way better but they couldn't do that because they had the iPhone. But then that begs the question of, should there have been a, a better contingency plan than the one they had, which was release a buggy version of iOS 13, which was so buggy that they actually didn't release it to everybody, right? Like, we're not going to release the one that shipped on the iPhone and then didn't alert people to some of the updates, right? Because they didn't want people to install them. It's like, if that is your contingency plan... I'm sure you have seen now that you probably need a more full contingency plan, right? Like maybe when this wasn't a problem before, then your contingency plan, which is the one that they seem to roll out this year, would be fine. But then when you actually put that contingency plan into effect, you realize that it's not great. So maybe you need yeah. something more. Mm-hmm. Uh, developer relations, 3.4. It's the same, didn't change. Casey List says, Apple's documentation is insultingly bad and or non-existent. If Apple wants third-party developers like myself to embrace new technologies, the answer can't be watch a WWDC video, then get out a divining rod and hope for the best. They need to provide <laughs> documentation for all of these new APIs. No excuses. And Paul Kofasis says, Notarization of macOS apps has thus far worked out better than I would have expected. So long as Apple uses a very light touch with this, it can be a win for users and developers. Nevertheless, I live in fear of a capricious use of this to kill something legitimate that Apple simply dislikes. Yeah, this 
when we launched the survey, there were a lot of really big app store and app review complaints, which mm. got uh, addressed. And so the survey started at its low, which was a 2.2. And the average has gone up to 3.1 and then 3.6. And now it's been sort of leveled out at 3.4 for the last couple of years. So the, this is one of those things that I'm not sure I would have put on the survey if I was creating it this year. But, it's, uh, but it was a real pain point back in 2015. And I think the answer is... Um, Apple's doing better at this, but there are still issues. Like it's not quite the house is on fire like it was, but um, but there are still a bunch of issues. Casey's thing about documentation. Um, Steve Trotton Smith talked about how um, perhaps governing bodies really do need to regulate the App Store and you know and set the rules so that Apple has to uh, change its behavior in times of killing apps or categories of apps. Um, yeah, I, I think. I'll give it a. I, I'm not a developer, so I should probably even not answer. But from the outside, I would say I'll give this a. I give this a three. Like there are issues, but also it's not a mess like it was a few years ago. Uh, I gave this a four. I feel like I maybe graded it too highly. The reason I gave it a four is because I don't have any personal attachment to this one, right? Like I don't get frustrated because of my lack of relations with my developer rep because I don't have one because I, I don't need one. <laughs> Um, and I kind of based it on the fact that, like, I can't recall any scandals in 2019, right? Like, that there are these, as we have, you mentioned, have seen in the past, right? Like, these big problems that had occurred. That sort of stuff has mostly gone away and it's frustrations now. I would maybe, if I look like thinking about it now, reading the comments from the report, I would maybe grade it a three after getting, like, information from people that care right like after reading the opinions of others but i originally graded it a four but i would amend that to a three i think just because it's like things seem fine but there's still work to be done and the work that needs to be done seems to not be being done and is only causing more issues stuff like the documentation you know they've been talking a lot about that on atp over the last month or so and i kind of didn't really know how bad of a situation that was until i heard people talking about it so and we're at the final category now, which is uh, societal impact. This is overall 3.3 down 0.4. I have quite a lot of comments here because there's a lot of areas that this touches on. So Philip Michael says, I hope Tim Cook likes being featured in Donald Trump re-election ads because footage of him standing next to Trump in an Apple factory heaping praise on the economy is going to get replayed roughly a billion times between now and November. Carolina Milanese says, I really expect more from Tim Cook than letting himself be manipulated into an election campaign photo moment. Christina Warren says, I was personally disappointed by Apple's decisions to bow to China a few times this year, especially in regards to the Hong Kong protests. Stephen Aquino says, in terms of accessibility, uh, Apple continues to push forward both product-wise and in general advocacy. The introduction of C is at the forefront of this. It is very much representative of the company's institutional love for accessibility and the disabled community. Aline Sims says, Apple is, as always, stellar accessibility. Voice control introduced with iOS 13 enables people with disabilities to do more than ever before. I'm still not impressed with the diversity and inclusion statistics. Jim McDonald says, I'm glad to see Apple promoting its second year of entrepreneur camp for companies with women founders, CEOs, and lead developers. Yeah, this is a category that has... Um it's an empty vessel into which the panelists pour their sentiment about whether Apple is lifting up to its own lofty goals as a corporation, its ideals, right? Mm -hmm. And what it's about changes every year. Um, I think when we started, it was about environmentalism and also the conditions in factories in China. Yep. Like that was a hot topic. Yep. And, it, you know, it's been about green power 
it's it's been about diversity and inclusion. Yep. It's been about accessibility. It's about anything. But it really this year, is. It's about politics. Yeah, and this year it is. It's not just about that, but that was the one that bubbled to the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, I think two big issues because it really is about is Apple li- li- living up to its ideals because Apple says it is a company and promotes that it is a company that wants to be good and change the world and leave the world a better place. And so this is sort of holding them to that. And the two trends in the comments this year were first off. Uh, working with uh, Donald Trump and the American government and, uh, or as what James James Thompson said, you know, authoritarian and corrupt governments, read that to refer to whatever governments you prefer, um, that that was part of it. And Trump going to that fa- factory that wasn't actually an Apple factory and having that photo op uh, with Tim Apple, um, that was a thing that came up again and again. Um, and And working with China and suppressing that app in Hong Kong, and then the uh, other thing that uh, that came up was privacy and security and things like uh, encryption and being an advocate for user privacy and user encryption and things that will allow people to keep their phones as a relatively private space that they can use to communicate with other people and not be um, viewed by their government or other governments and have their private things uh, brought out into public knowledge or at least into government knowledge and apple is generally seen positively in the one light the last one and in the first one it took a hit this year i'm gonna i'm gonna give it down down the road my score would be probably a three because i think there are areas where apple is living up to its promise and there are areas where it's falling down and so sticking it in the middle is probably mm-hmm. the right way to do it i think uh, as we've said on this show tim cook is basically has to be a diplomat um, he has to deal with the government of China and the government of the United States. He literally has to be a diplomat to the two most powerful governments in the world who have their own desires. And he has to try to walk a line so that he can continue to have his company stay in business. And the challenge is sometimes uh, that pragmatism leads him to make decisions that make a bunch of people feel like he's he's letting us down and he's letting Apple's overall values down. And this is the, I think, inherent contradiction in any corporation talking about their idealism is that it's great for corporations to have idealism and and belief and want to leave the world a better place. But they're also publicly held profit-driven corporations owned by shareholders. And the shareholders want profit and growth. And it's easy to have ideals when they don't conflict with profit and growth. But when there's that moment where it's like, oh no, what happens if we uh, cut off, are cut off from the Chinese market? The answer is they will make decisions to not do that. And those will not necessarily be in line with their ideals. As Tim Cook has talked about it. He said, we think it's better to be in the country and involved than to turn our back on it. But I think there's a real strong case to be made that's the other direction. So I'm just going to park it at three and say, um, it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. I gave it a three. I would usually want to give it much higher. And like, I've really struggled over this because I have very, very strong opinions in this area as like listeners of this show have definitely heard over the last few months. But uh, I struggled to gr- to grade it much lower because like Apple is their environmental stuff is so good, right? Compared to other, to a lot of other companies. And I also struggle because I appreciate the situation that Tim Cook is in to a point. Like he is a world leader without a world to lead. You know, like he is effectively as important as 
the prime ministers, the presidents of countries, like in his importance to the world as it stands right now, because Apple is so vast, right? Like their influence is so great. But the way that he has handled, has had to handle himself this year has been embarrassing, right? Like the Mac Pro and Trump thing, it's very embarrassing. The Hong Kong China stuff is just like really out of the character that he seems to have set for himself. Um, he is appears to be a very principled person, but has the importance of world leaders. But I feel like he is letting some of that, like his political standing, win out in favor of his principles. And that is changing a lot of the way that we see him. And it's for the sake of the shareholders, right? Because he seems to have, he is very outspoken in places that he can be, where it's not going to have too much of an impact on the company. But there are places where he could be more out, like he could have been way more outspoken in regards to the uh, Donald Trump stuff which would make sense for his, like, what seems to be his political views to be more outspoken. But he is not being because of how difficult it will make other, like, the tariff stuff for him. Where it's like, well, Apple also could have even, could have taken a smaller profit margin, right? And just ate the cost of the tariffs if they wanted to. But that affects the, the shareholder stuff. It affects the stock price. It affects revenue and profit. So they didn't do that. It's like, well, okay, so where where did it, where are the lines drawn for Tim Cook and his principles? And I think this is the thing that we're all struggling with this year, and I am struggling with, because it's this duality that I can't reconcile myself with properly yet. So that's kind of where I am this year with this stuff. So that's the report card. That's no, it? I think that, you know, there's lots of frustrations. There's nothing... I think hugely monumental this year. So like the the variances are small. Like the things yeah, it's that the, soft, it, the software quality taking a dive is really the story. Yeah, of the whole thing. Even the dive that it took was not absolutely massive, right? Well, in terms of this survey, it is. The survey okay, doesn't yeah. change by, uh, and I'll say services up by half a point is on average is actually also a fairly large thing. Moving by five to seven tenths of a point is uh, is big in terms of the survey. Okay. So the software quality cool. going down is big and the services going up is big. Okay. All right. Should we do some Ask Upgrade to wrap out today's episode? Great idea. All right, let me thank Squarespace for their support of this show. You can make your next move with Squarespace because they will let you easily create a website for your next project or idea. You can grab a unique domain name, customize award-winning templates, and so much more, giving you an all-in-one platform that will let you put any project that you want online. There's nothing to install or patch or upgrade. You have nothing to worry about with Squarespace. They take care of all of this stuff for you and back everything up with award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help, they have got the answers to get you through. If you want to build an online store, they have functionality to do that. Any type of website that you want to make, Squarespace will give you the tools to do it. 
Uh, they have great templates. So if, if you maybe just need a website for an event, uh, maybe you have a website for your business or a restaurant, they have lots of template options for you to pick from. Some of them even come pre-filled with a bunch of information that you're going to need. They have page structures and stuff that you can use. It really is like very, very full-featured. Uh, but you should go and try it out for yourself. Go to squarespace.com slash upgrade and you can sign up for a trial today. Uh, there's no credit card to do it. You can just go right there, sign up, and you can play around, build your website. And then when you're ready to launch it to the world, you sign up for one of their plans. They start at just $12 a month. Uh, but when you sign up and use the offer code upgrade, you will get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show. Once again, that is squarespace.com slash upgrade and the code upgrade for 10% of your first purchase. I'd like to thank Squarespace for the continued support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Okay. The first hashtag ask upgrade question of today's show is from Graham. And Graham says, if you had Apple's money, is there a company that you would buy just for the fun of it? Um, well, for the fun of it, like, and if I had Apple's money is a real great question. Does that mean, what would I like Apple to buy or what would I buy as a person with Apple's money? I'm I don't expecting know. it's like you are in charge of the money at Apple. What would you I'm, do with that money? I'm Jason Apple at that Jason point. Jason Apple. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well, I mean, first, and this is kind of breaks the entire premise is I'd, I'd spend like a billion dollars on the incomparable incorporated and pay myself that and then i would uh, but if that's not allowed because i'm already working at apple apparently um the one i came up with is viacom cbs i think apple should buy some content companies with with content libraries and build out apple tv plus to be more than just their originals now they, they seem to be going down a direction where they're happy to be hbo because hbo isn't anymore or isn't going to be anymore and just do like premium originals but i feel like uh, one of the challenges is that they don't have franchises. So they could buy like MGM, maybe they could buy Viacom, CBS. There's some they could get some stuff, and not only would they have catalog for their their streaming service, but they would have franchise stuff that they could build out. So imagine you know having The Daily Show and having Star Trek, and you know having if they buy at MGM, you know having James Bond. Um, and not just the archives, but maybe there's a James Bond uh, series on Apple TV Plus. Like to do that stuff, um, they're probably going to have to buy some of these smaller uh, companies that are going to get swallowed up by one of the big uh, companies in the media space. And the nice thing is that Apple is not Disney or Comcast uh, it, or Warner Media. It doesn't have a an existing equivalent of this. So we could probably collect some of these small players um, and build something. So if I had Apple's money, that's what I'd do. I mean, I've seen people say, oh, or you could just buy Netflix. I'm like, yeah, I don't think Apple wants to do that or would do that, although that would be interesting if they had the money to do that. But I think they could buy Viacom CBS and MGM and Sony Entertainment maybe and make themselves a media giant by doing that. Put Spider-Man on Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah, well, I mean, but Disney, <laughs> Disney, so that they'd have Sony, but not Disney, and so would they? I don't know. We'll see. Dropbox. Yeah, because I want both iCloud Drive to be better at what it should do, and Dropbox to be better at what I want it to do. So I would like to see Apple buy Dropbox and use all of their good technology and integrate it better and get rid of the stuff that I don't care about. Okay, for fun. For fun and for my own. Uh, Yep. usefulness sure 
Sarah asked a question building on a question from last week's episode. So Sarah says, may I ask, what is the benefit of using 1Password over Keychain built into iOS and macOS? Uh, I've used Keychain for a while, and I'm wondering if it would benefit me to switch to 1Password. So I feel that like Keychain has gotten way better, right? Yes. On iOS especially, you know, like a lot of the stuff, like the recommended password stuff, and that's been really great. Actually, one of my favorite features of iOS 13 is all of the, well, 12 and 13 is like the all of the improvements they're doing to password stuff, especially with Keychain. But I recognize, I know I'm speaking for you too, in that my 1Password usage predates these improvements. So I have years and years of information in there that's not in Keychain, but also you can save more information. So notes, but I also have banking info and stuff and you can't, you can save cards in Keychain, but you can't save the verification numbers. So you still need those, right? But Dropbox, you can save all that stuff and pre-fill it um, and have it filled for you. But you can also save like bank account numbers and stuff like that. Uh, one password is also cross-platform. So if when I use Windows or Android, I can also get to one password, which I can't with Keychain. Uh, and I also find one password nicer to navigate. Um, I've heard many say this before, and I agree. Apple should make a Keychain app now. Like there's, it's becoming more and more useful to be able to look at Keychain, and you have to go into like multi levels of settings. Like they should just make their own version of One Password at this point. I feel like, but um, like so you could save more information into it if you wanted to. But just having like a passwords app on the phone, I think, would be nicer. But, yeah, I agree. Have I if I given enough there? Yeah, I think that's solid. Um, right. There's. I've always got that question. Like, would I use One Password now if Keychain has was as full featured as it is now? I think you should start with Keychain. But One Password does have some other stuff. And if you're cross platform, you need to use One Password. But it, it, Keychain's gotten so much better that yes, I have had those questions myself. Of course, now you can set One Password to use the autofill API and turn off Keychain, so you can get those features within One Password. So you can choose. Yeah, that was built like, you know, I know some of the people on that team. Um, so I feel like I can say this from a place of authority. Like that was built by people who care about people's security more than how good their own features are, right? Because like that is such a good feature set, right? To be able to just pre-fill all of those passwords. Like Apple could have just kept it for themselves, but opening it up so other companies can do that with the quick type keyboard thing is really awesome. And I'm so pleased that they did that because it does promote better security. Like I have more um, secure passwords now than I ever have before because I can just pre-fill them with Keychain and it's easy for me to to get to them that way, right? Like for for like if I buy something from some website that I've never used before and may never use again, but I set up an account, usually I'll just throw in some like standard password or whatever. But now I just have randomized huge passwords for them all because it's so easy to do. But then I can also very easily using the same system pull up on my one password stuff. So I'm very happy that they implemented it that way. Yep. Uh, Fuzan says, if you could bring any Apple product feature to the entire 2020 lineup from watch to Mac Pro, what would you choose and why? This can be new feature, old feature, whatever you want. I have so many things that I want to do. So I, I came, I'll, I'm going to do the classic uh, technique of um, talking about three things, but only picking one of them. That's good. That's good. So you cover all your bases. Yeah. So OLED on the iPad Pro. That would be beautiful. Yeah, because then it would, and then I guess the Mac as well, right, would be also what you'd be getting out of that if you're bringing it to the entire lineup because it would be uh, nice to get all those screens on the Mac. Why not? 
I guess yeah. I guess entire lineup is the is the tricky thing here. Um, Multi touch because it would go on the Mac. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Apple Pencil. I'm thinking mo- mm-hmm. mo- more about iPhone, but why not Apple Pencil on anything? Whatever. Apple um, Pencil on a big trackpad or on the yeah. screen, right? It'd be nice. And um, scissor keyboard, and that yes, that means the iPad pro mm, yes yes okay. it does and the i just all scissor keyboard on the mac well you'd it would be an option you can uh-huh, get a scissor uh-huh. keyboard and attach it to the iphone but i wouldn't recommend it but if i had to go across the entire line instead of tactically yeah i might say oled i might say uh apple pencil yeah i would like high refresh rate displays great answer promotion yeah everywhere all the things i really desperately want that for the 2020 iphone i'll be super i was willing to let it go with the uh 2019 phone but like that ipad that ipad promotion display is so good yeah i'll be so disappointed if they do not put that in the iphone this year uh and finally today today asks which Apple executives' tell-all book are you most excited to read? And this is assuming that they will obviously write them. Right? Let's just assume that from this question that every Apple executive ever is going to write a tell-all book. Which book do you want to read most? You go first. I want Johnny Ives' book. Mm. I think he has the most interesting story to tell. Right? Like, we still want stories about Steve, and we know he has stories that nobody else has. Right? Like... You just know that because he was his closest collaborator, right? Like he has stories about Steve Jobs that I want to hear, but nobody, in, you know, has had the kind of history at Apple that Johnny's had. You know, like he's been there for so long, and he was there since, like since it was failing. And I know you've got people like Phil Schiller, right, who have been there for the same period of time, but the impact that Johnny I've had, you know, like the the way that you know you could tie so many of well, you can tie like basically pretty much all of Apple's success to him in some way, right? Because people love Apple's design and he did it. I want to hear the story of iOS 7, right? Like, what was that like from his perspective, from being given the task to do it, doing it and how it went? Like, what was it like building the campus? Like, I want to know all of that from him. Um, you know, why did he never want to go on stage I want to know what he has to say about all that stuff. Like, I would love, love to read his book. I'm going to say Phil Schiller just because, I mean, Johnny Ive, I absolutely agree. I would love that. Although you know what Johnny Ive's tell-all book will be. It's just going to be pictures with no captions. <laughs> hey, as long as the pictures are detailed enough. As long as these pictures can tell all, I have no problem on that. Yeah, it's like that that Apple history book that they released that's just pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll go with Schiller. Because mm. Phil Schiller's been at Apple a long time. He's seen it Phil all, Schiller right? was very close to Steve Jobs. He's a marketing guy, but he's more than a marketing guy. But he is he is at the heart of everything that Apple has done over the last 20 years. I would want to read Schiller's book to find out what his actual job is. <laughs> right? Because his job title at this point doesn't make sense, but it feels like it's never really made sense. Like you say, like it feels like he is involved with everything. Well, marketing means something different at Apple. It does. I think yeah. to it a was certain degree. Yeah. into their entire company, right? They yeah. are a marketing company. I, I do have one additional one to throw in here. Scott Forstall. Oh, sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I think think Scott Forstall's tell-all book would be fascinating, and we might get that if he wants to do it, since, you know, at some point he'll be presumably contractually free to say whatever he wants about I what really want Apple. them all to write books one day I, like please I, I agree for for the sake for history's sake right mm-hmm. it would be nice to know what actually happened at Apple um I was going to mention uh like maybe Johnny Sruji or somebody somebody involved I want somebody involved in the chip thing I would love to hear the story of PA semi being bought by Apple and how Apple became the preeminent mobile chip maker mm-hmm. in the world mm-hmm. I I I would love to hear that story. And again, that these don't have to be tell-all books, but the, those are the best chances to get them right. Because otherwise you can have a journalistic book about it, but you're going to need lots of people to talk who are your sources. And that's always hard. And, and so that would be the other way to view this is I don't necessarily need it to be a tell-all book, but I would I want more views into the history of a lot of different things that Apple has done over the last 25 years. And uh, we've only gotten a handful so far, but you got to think there will be more at some point. We could throw like John Rubenstein in there too. I think his his book would be fascinating because then he yeah. went to Palm and that all kind of fell apart. And like, I think that would be, I think Ruby's book would be an interesting one too. I want autobiographies of all of these people. Like I want, I want autobiographies. I don't want biographies, right? Like, or, yeah. or like official Isaacson books like I want Johnny Ive for as much as it is him writing his own book and telling me everything like that's what I want I'm probably of everyone I don't think he would do it I feel like there are many other executives that would be more likely to do it I don't think he would do it because he seems so private right like I just can't imagine him doing it although I would love it so all right, that wraps up this week's bumper episode of Upgrade. If you want to catch our show notes, go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 283. You can find Jason online at sixcolors.com, theincomparable.com. He hosts many shows here at Relay FM, as I do. You can go to relay.fm slash shows to find out more about the product offering that we have for you. Uh, we'll all score five out of five um, on the, uh, the Relay FM report card. Uh, Jason is at Jasonell on Twitter. I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks so much to Pingdom, KiwiCo, and Squarespace for the support of this episode. Most of all, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. I give you a five out of five as a co-host, Mike. Oh, thank you. Thank you.